Amen. Rejoice. We will be talking about that today. Please find your way in God's word to Romans chapter five. We'll be talking about our blessed assurance. You'll see that in our in our text, our our security of salvation. We spoke a little bit about that last week. But we're going to hit it a couple more times here. And we will also see how much. <laughs> yeah, you're going to need it here. You're going to need it. <laughs> we will also see that there is much more in our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're just going to read. We're going to start at verse 1 in chapter 5. Just watch. It doesn't take long just to read the scriptures. So as I tell you that, you know, we, we encourage you guys to read it at home. It doesn't take very long, and as you read it and read it and read it, as you know, we've been in here in chapter five for four weeks, five weeks, I don't know, but man, it becomes part of you. And then as you hear it preach, you grow, you grow, and you end up hiding God's word in your heart, and you end up rejoicing, as we will see. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been, now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we have now received reconciliation. You know, I just love just proclaiming the word, just reading the word. You know, I got a test for you. Don't raise your hands. Do you know that the Bible has 66 books in it? But most of you knew that. Did you know that it has 1,189 chapters and 31,102 verses? Did you know that? I didn't. And those numbers are real. I didn't make those up. Y'all know how I am. Did you know that every word is inerrant? Every word is infallible? Every word is authoritative? Every word is sufficient? And every word is the truth? So why? Why would we proclaim anything else but the word of God? That's what we need to hear. This is God's love letter written to his children. And we saw that last week. We saw in verse five that hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There's the love. God has poured his love into our hearts. And that love is put, and that love that is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit is a gift. That's a gift. Merry Christmas. There's your gift. That gift of God who now dwells in us. And if the spirit dwells in us, he will bear fruit in and through us. What's the first fruit of the spirit? Love, right? Love, Galatians 5.22. 
know, this is what is so beautiful about this text that we've been studying. Now that God's love has been poured into us through the Holy Spirit, we now have or we possess a spirit-given love for God. So love, like Pastor Ryan says, has a lot to do with it. We see here in chapter 5, the biggest act of love that can be shown is a man laying down his life for another. Christ did much more than that. He laid down his life for his enemies. He laid down his life so that believers can live. Verse 8 said that. He said, but God showed his love for, for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You know, they say that salvation is not of works. True, but I beg to differ a little. They say that, you know, it's not of works and no one can boast. True, but I beg to differ just a little. We should boast. You see here in chapter 5, we see the work of Christ. How through him we have faith. Through him we have peace, access, love, security, and most of all we have salvation. All possible because of what? Because of the work of Christ. Salvation is a free gift. Yes, that is true. But it does not mean that the one who gave it did not pay a heavy price for it. And since we know that the one who offers this free gift, and since we know what a price he paid for it, we rejoice in him and we boast in him. We praise him. We gather to worship, to worship him. Because that God-given spirit of love demands us to do so. Amen. So salvation is of works. And Christ did it all. Not us. And because of the work of Christ, we are able to boast in Christ. Not in ourselves. We are able to boast in Jesus, our God. You see, Jesus is not a God. Jesus did not become God. Jesus does not aspire to be God. Jesus is God. And that's a big deal when we're talking about our blessed assurance here in this salvation. So what we see when we look at Jesus, the Messiah, we are looking at the one who embodies God's own love. What does that mean? It means that Jesus is God's love in action. We can see Jesus. When we see Jesus, we see God. When we see God's love in action. And for the ones who know Jesus as God, who knows Jesus as our Lord and Savior, you know, we get this little glimpse of how incredible his love really is. That blessed assurance. Just a glimpse of the glory divine. We can see here in verse 6 that for a while we were weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. You know, does that seem strange to you when I read this? I'm like, God died for the ungodly. That should smack us right in the head. God died for the ungodly. <clears throat> God shows his love for us, the ungodly. While we were still sinners, God died for us. So God shows us his love. To and for us by dying for us. Jesus Christ, God. I don't want you to miss that point. God left the glories of heaven. God came to this earth and God died for us. That's an act of divine love. 
divine love. It's an incredible love. We can't, I told you a couple weeks ago, we can't get our mind around how amazing that love is. But we get just a taste of it, enough to know that we have a no-so hope in our hearts, a living hope in our hearts. God did the work, God died for us, and now we have a God-given hope. That hope's not wishful thought. You know, that's the way we define hope. We wish something happens. No, no. We're not wishing that it will happen. Biblical hope is different. The God-given hope we see in the scriptures is the confident expectation that God will fulfill his promises. So our hope is knowing that God fulfills his promises. We see that. We see that through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are saved from the wrath of God. Through the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, sinners are reconciled to God. This is God fulfilling his promises. And it's a no-so hope because we know that God, God took the initiative and demonstrated his incredible grace and love by sending his own son to take the punishment we deserved. Nothing we did. If we were relying on salvation that was initiated and done by fallen man, we would not have a blessed assurance. We would not have that no-so salvation. But since it is all done by God, initiated by God, it is secure. It is an amazing love. Verse 9, since therefore we have been justified, that's declared right, by his blood. Again, this justification is God's approval given to us only on the basis of what Christ did. It is an acquittal that sets all so sets free all of us who otherwise were hopeless prisoners of sin. We were hopeless, powerless, a slave to sin and an enemy of God. But because of the death of Christ, because of the blood of Christ, because of Christ becoming the Lamb of God, we are now declared right with God. Now watch how Paul begins his argument here. That brings us into his argument of the, the lesser to the greater, the less to the greater. And he does so, so that man can understand the magnitude of God's love for his children and give us the security that we need. He has shown us that it is through Christ that peace, access, reconciliation, and salvation happens. And all this happened because of what? Because of the death of Christ. Right? That's what the scriptures say. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. We have been, de been, been declared right by how? By his blood, by his death. Now watch what Paul does, verse 9. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. There is the much more that we're going to be talking about. Paul is arguing from the lesser to the greater. Here, so, so you see what he's doing? Here's what he's saying. Now that you have been justified by the shed blood of Jesus, that is Jesus willing to die for us, then, then listen, certainly Jesus Christ will see that justified sinners will be saved from God's wrath. Take comfort. Because he shed his blood for his enemies, much more would he save his friends from the wrath of God. Much more would he save the children of God from the wrath of God. So do you see the, the much more here? This is our security. 
Our security is, is, is knowing that we will never be condemned to hell because of Christ being alive. John 5.24 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Because of the work of Christ, believers will not come into that judgment. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, 10 says, And how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Jesus will deliver his children from the wrath to come. Remember, we talked about that wrath to come in uh, chapter 2. Paul talked about that. He told us that there will be a day when God will judge all human secrets. And this judgment will be entirely just, fair, and impartial. Remember as we studied that? But now, now Paul has gotten to the good news here. He said that, that is, there is a way for us not to experience the wrath to come. That's what Paul is saying to the children of God. If God saves us when we were his enemies, surely he will keep on saving us now that we are his children. So this is where we see, we are seeing the depths of our security when it comes to our salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why our hope doesn't put us to shame. If the death of Jesus on our behalf when we were weak, helpless sinners, showed us how much he loved us. If he, if he loved us enough to die for us, then, while we were enemies, then God, Jesus, the Messiah, can be trusted to rescue us from the coming day of judgment. That's the much more that Paul is trying to get across to the believers. The scripture tells us to look at what Jesus has done and because of what he has done we can trust him to take care of the future we should confidently be able to look at what he will do without doubting you see paul is answering the question that pastors get all the time someone gets saved or you know or uh, they, they they believe the gospel message about jesus you know they they understand the, they ask for forgiveness of their sins be, become a member of the kingdom of God, they're declared in the right by God. All that happens at salvation and they're going along and they're, they're walking the walk. But what happens is the, the believer gets to thinking. He knows he's messed up. You know, he did something else wrong, right? And he's going, okay, I've been forgiven of all the sins that I've committed up to this moment. I remember that when I asked Jesus, forgive me for I have sinned. I, I get that. I'm now a child of God. But watch this, they will say, well, what about the sins I will commit? What about those? What about the future sins? I got a lot of life left. I'm sure I'm going to stumble. I'm sure I'm going to mess up. What happens when I sin again? Do I lose my salvation? Paul's answer, Paul answers that question here. He says, know this blessed assurance. The future is taken care of. You see, when you trusted Jesus to forgive the sins you have committed, you also had put your trust in Jesus to forgive you of the sins you would commit. 
You see the verdict issued is in the present, not guilty, but will be reaffirmed in the future. And it is all based securely on what God has already done in the death of Jesus. You know, I like to point out when, when somebody comes to me and they're struggling with this, struggling with this doubt, uh, you know, doubting about future sins, you know, and, and just can't get their minds around. I ask them this. I says, I ask them, I say, how many sins had you committed when Jesus died on the cross? They go, I wasn't even born. That's what I'm talking about. Think about that. He died for your sins. You know, Paul, Paul is building the case here by going from the lesson to greater that, that Christ is not just fixing a problem. Christ is, uh, Paul is building the case that Jesus is much more than that. It, you know, if you look back at the temple for a moment, you know, what happens at the temple? They, they come to worship God, right? They come to worship. The people, they brought sacrifices to offer to God for what? For the sins they had committed. And they did this year after year. Why? Because the offering they gave was for sins in the past. They never took care of the sins in the future. There was never this peace. So you see, Christ did not just fix the problem of having to continue to make offerings to God. No, Christ is much more than that. He took care of all our sins, our past, present, and future. He is the perfect Lamb of God, and that should give us comfort. If God has done the difficult thing, how much more is he likely to complete the job? Paul knows how to cover every detail. He links all of this together so that the ones who have put their trust in Jesus can see the magnitude of God's love and be able to see that our Lord Jesus Christ is much, much more. Because of Christ, we can be set free indeed, set free to let the Spirit-given love for God work in our lives. We can put away that guilt. We can put away that doubt. If we know we are secure, then we are free to love God with all our heart, soul, and strength. How much more is Christ? Verse 10, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled by God to, by, his, by the death of his son. Much more now we reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. These are the beautiful words that sinners need to hear. Yes, Christ died on the cross. We are reconciled to God. That's the hard work. But Christ can do much more by his life. Let's look at the work that Christ has done here when it talks about reconciled. Reconciled means changed or exchanged. So reconciliation involves a change in the relationship between God and man. We have a, a, a breakdown in the relationship. Paul taught us that in the first three chapters of Romans. But now here there has been a change, a change from a, a state of en enmity and fragmentation to one of harmony and fellowship. And because of that change, in our relationship, we believers have become a new creature. We have become new creatures. Remember, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 should always ring in your head. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So because of the death of Christ, we have been changed. We are reconciled. We are now a new creation, and we have a new relationship with God. So if Christ was able to accomplish that through his death, 
much more shall we be saved, listen, by his life. Since reconciliation is accomplished by his death, certainly his life is able to ensure the complete and final salvation of all believers. You see, Christ is much more than the perfect God, more than the perfect sacrifice. He has risen. No sacrifice has ever crawled off the altar. Christ is alive. Christ is much more, and his life is able to assure us that our salvation is complete. Christ is alive, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father. He has risen. That's shouting good news. That's why we proclaim not just that the baby Jesus came at Christmas, but he is right now, and he is sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Listen, when we see this, when the scriptures, you know, when we see his life here, the scriptures are not talking about Jesus's life on earth when, when God himself walked on this earth. No, the scriptures are speaking of his resurrected life. This is how Christ is able to do what the scriptures say in Hebrews 7.25. He's able to do this because of his resurrected life, Hebrews 7.25. He is able to say to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. This is a resurrected life that is eternal. This is how Christ by his life, is able to save, to keep his former enemies who are now a new, crea a new creation in fellowship with God. He doesn't. He is alive. We have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. We were enemies. We were reconciled to God by his death, by the death of his son. Much more shall we be saved by his life brings us to verse 11 much more than that we also rejoice in god through our lord jesus christ through whom we have now received reconciliation don't you just love it when scripture keeps saying more 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 than that more than that now that we know our future salvation is assured we can rejoice the scriptures say it seems like in this chapter, Paul, he gives us some good news, and then he has to stop and remind us to rejoice. You know, me and Tiago was talking about this earlier. We had to be told to rejoice. We don't choose that. You know, we like to grumble and, and whine and complain. And that's our nature. But, you know, Paul's like, hey, this happens, rejoice. This happens, rejoice. He says, we've been reconciled to God. Rejoice. Our amazing salvation that God has gifted to us takes care of the past, present, and future. Rejoice. Christ died for us. Christ lives for us. Christ is coming for us. Rejoice, church. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Amen. God is taking care of our past sins, as we can see. He will take care of our future sins, as we have learned. And our salvation will be consummated when he returns for us. Oh, come back soon, Lord Jesus. Rejoice, people. Rejoice in God and boast in our Lord Jesus Christ. We have a lot to talk about. We have a story to tell, and we need to tell it to the world. It's like Paul's telling the children of God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
Everything is taken care of until he returns. So in the meantime, rejoice, rejoice. And you know, Paul's the best one to tell us to do that. I mean, if, if he's the one to live a life of rejoicing in our Lord Jesus Christ, I always have this picture of Paul, you know, in Acts chapter 16, and him and Silas are in jail, you know, those aren't like we got now, you know, they're, they're like caves and wet and stuff. And I, I just see him, you know, chained to the walls, ankles and, and arms chained to the wall, and he's just sitting there singing to Jesus, you know. It's, a, it's around midnight. I'm like, oh, midnight, you know, in the jail. He said, was, was praying and singing hymns to Jesus, singing hymns to God. And he says, the prisoners were listening to him. Why? Because he was rejoicing. He was rejoicing in God. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. That's a good one to go read. In jail, around midnight, the horrible condition. What Paul's doing, what is he doing? He's rejoicing. Posting in our Lord, that's how he lived. And that's how he told us to live. We have peace with God. We know that we know we have the assurance and guarantee of peace. We have access to God. We have a glorious hope. And all through our Lord Jesus Christ. And more than that, God has reconciled godless enemies to himself. We have so much to rejoice about. You know, we sing... You know, Jesus, the one who takes my fears away. You know, we, we remember that song? Listen, Jesus just does, doesn't just take the fear of death away. You know, it's much more than that. When you know that Christ has taken care of your past sins, when you know that Christ is making intercession for you at this very moment, when you know that Christ is also taking care of your future sins, and you know that you know that you're going to spend eternity with God in a new heaven and a new earth. What is there to fear? So it's more than just the fear of death. You know what there is to fear? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. The only thing that man should fear is the wrath of God that will come. But if you have put your trust in Jesus, then the fear of that wrath coming down on you, it's gone. It has no effect on you. It will be no more, nothing to fear. That's why everybody you know, has those stickers on their car, no fear. That's what they're talking about. <laughs> Maybe not. That fear is replaced with peace. It's replaced with a joyful heart. It's one that is full of the spirit, desiring to worship our Lord and Savior, desiring to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Oh, we have so much to rejoice about. Now, before we move into the next section of scripture here, just know we can't dig in as deep as we want to. I'm just priming the pump here. All right. And But the great thing about it, I'll say it later, you know, that Paul attacks his argument from every different angle. He makes sure we understand it. I mean, how many of you understand that we are one in God now? You should, because we have nailed that one many times. And that's what Paul does. So as we, as we move on to this next scripture, before I read it, before we read it together, I want to bring a couple of things to our attention. These verses are the very heart of this letter. I, I, I lean that way. But, but first of all, as we read this, I want you to take note of the repetition of, of words. Uh, one of the little words, one. We will see it's used 11 times. The key idea 
here is our identification with Adam and with Christ. All right. Second, take note of the repetition of the word reign. It is used five times. Paul saw two men, Adam and Christ, each of them reigning over a kingdom. Now, what is really important, take note that the phrase much more, much more is repeated five times. This means that in Jesus Christ, we have gained much more than we have ever lost in Adam. Christ did not just fix the problem. He is much more. So let's read verse 12. Therefore, since a sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For many, if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of the grace that one man Jesus Christ abounded for many. And the free gift is not like is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men. For it's by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in, in, to, in to increase the trespass, but where sins increase, but where sins so where sins increase, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteous, leading to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this these verses basically sum up the story of the letter. You know, Paul Paul is giving us a a contrasting look at two types of humanity here. First of all, we have the Adamic humanity, Adam's humanity. As we can see in verses 12 through 14, it is the one man, Adam, whose breaking of God's commandment brought sin and death into the world. Adam was given dominion over creation, but when he sinned, he lost his kingdom. He failed at his calling. And because of his action, we see that humankind is now in a state of sin. All of mankind is under the condemn condemnation and death. Now, many has asked over the years, you know, is that fair for God to condemn the whole world just because of one man's disobedience? And the answer is, yes, it is. For one thing, we know this. What do we know about God? that God is perfect and he never makes a mistake. And we know that God is just and that God is fair. 
But with this decision, if we look at this right, we can see the wisdom and grace of our God. You see, we have heard people say, well, you know, if I'd have been in the garden, I wouldn't have sinned. Well, that statement, your pride, proves you would have failed. So, so you see, you know, if, if God had tested each human being individually, the result would have been the same, disobedience. I don't care, you know, as, as holy as Pastor Ryan is, he would have failed. He's the first one to tell you. No, second one, I'll tell you first. But he's the second guy to tell you that. So if God had tested each human being individually, the result had would have been insane, disobedient. Now, what we, have, what we have to see here is this. By condemning the whole human race through one man, God was then able to save the whole human race through one man. Because of one man's sin, that is, in, that is Adam, salvation, because of one man's sin, that is in Adam, salvation has come through one man, that is Christ. You see, with Christ, we now have the new type of humanity. The one that is created through our Lord Jesus Christ, which is much, much more than the one through Adam. Christ came as the king over a new creation. What did we read earlier? Remember, we are saved. We became what? A new creation. Christ is king over us. He reigns over us. By his obedience at the cross, Jesus brought in righteousness and justification. His obedience, in his obedience, Christ not only undid all the damage that Adam's sin affected, but he accomplished much more. That much more is that he made us the very sons of God. That is the much more that Paul is building up to in this text. Christ is much more when it comes to the deliverance from wrath we saw in verse 9. Christ is much more when it comes to the preservation of his people by his resurrection life in verse 10. Christ is much more when we see the giving of the gift because of his grace in verse 15. Christ is much more of the believer's reign in life, verse 17. Christ is much more of abounding grace in verse 20. He is much more. There is much more in Christ. There is life. There is eternal life. In Christ, we have become the very sons of God. We are now much more. But with Adam, condemnation and death. And know this, you know, we are all tied to Adam. We're all tied to him. So in order to understand the much more in Christ, we have to know that all of mankind is tied to Adam. And that's why Paul goes through this to verses 12 through 14 to explain this. You remember what Paul is doing? He's showing that the Jew and Gentile are one, how both are in need of Christ. And here he explains how both are in Adam. From the beginning, we were one. Uh, verse 12, let's read through it again. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. 
for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. That's a big point he's making. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. So what do we know? We know this. All men die. Everyone dies. But death is a result. But death is, is a result of dis disobeying the law. The word tells us that. But Paul, Paul points that truth out. He suggests that's true. But listen, there was no law from Adam to Moses. And men still died. What Paul is saying is we have a, a general result. That means that we have a general cause. The general result is everybody dies. What is the cause? It can only be one thing, the disobedience of Adam. So when Adam sinned, he ultimately died. All of the, his descendants died before the law was given. So why did man die? They died because of Adam's sin. The word says for, when, he, when the word says, uh, you know, for all have sinned, right? It means that all sinned in Adam. Men do not die because of their own acts of sin. That's, that's not what causes death. If that were true, then babies would not die. Think about that. We'll see that in chapter nine. Men die because they are united racially to Adam. And in Adam, all men sin and all men die. First Corinthians 15, 22. Each of us racially, that is the human race is united to Adam so that his deed affects us. This may help you to understand this a little bit more. Did you know that Fallen angels cannot be saved. You know, angels look into the salvation with amazement. But fallen angels cannot be saved. They are not a race. They sin in and were judged individually. There can be no representative to take their judgment for them and save them. They can't be saved. They sin. They're under condemnation. So this may not sound like a good thing, but it is a good thing being tied to Adam. Because you and I were lost in Adam. He was the head of mankind. The good news is we can be saved in Christ. He's the head. God's plan was both gracious and wise. Adam's one act determined the character of the world. That's true. But the much more is Christ's act, one act determined the character of eternity. Just as Adam was representative of created humanity, so was Christ a representative of the new spiritual humanity, the new creation. And that's where Paul wants, to, wants us to be and wants us to be in the hands of God, in the kingdom of God, in the new creation and reign with him forever and ever. If you put your trust, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord, then you are no longer in Adam. You are in Christ. You are much more. Like I said earlier, we've only begun to scratch the surface of this. But because of the way Paul writes, we're, we're able to touch on this two or three more times. Paul comes at that subject at every angle to make sure we get it. But what you need to know today is... Because of Adam's sin, death entered the human race, and all people will die until the end of age. 
Every human being is born into Adam's physical family, the family line that leads to certain death. All of us reap the results of Adam's sin. We have inherited his guilt, the tendency to sin, and God's punishment. But the good news is this, God's gift, the gift of his grace salvation means that eternal life in the new heaven and new earth is available to all of mankind through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus, we can trade judgment for forgiveness. We can trade our sin for Jesus's goodness. Jesus offers us the opportunity to be born again, born into his spiritual family, the family line that begins with forgiveness and leads to eternal life. If we do not receive this free gift, then we have death through Adam. But if we come to God by faith, we live life through Jesus Christ. And in Christ, we see much more deliverance from wrath. We see much more the preservation of his resurrection life. The much more of the gift of grace. The much more of the believer's reign in life and abounding grace. It's not enough to list the marvelous facts of our relationship with God. But more so, knowing that God has accomplished such accomplish such to cause us to be filled with joy. And that's why we rejoice in the hope of glory. We rejoice in our sufferings. And most of all, we rejoice in God. We rejoice in God because Christ took our sins upon himself and paid the price for them with his own death instead of punishing us with the death we deserve. Amen. So rejoice, church. Rejoice. Pastor? Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're going to look, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but we're going to look at some of the larger ideas of, of the passage and the relationship uh, between this passage and 